I think there's room for the genuine, authentic pieces of content, and I think you should have that. But then I also think that you should have some more theatrical, fun, you know, things where you know where you can act, and that's what that's what I love about social media these days is because you know. A lot of the techniques we we call our technique your business is a movie really and so we're taking that storytelling process and going okay how can we infuse this into your content for your business you know and for you as a as a personal brand how do you get 10,000 people to take a step to the left what's behind the relentless mindset of a world champion. Why do teams of exceptional talent fail? How do you manage the pressure to perform? These are just some of the curious questions we will attempt to answer as we bring you world leaders, curious minds, exceptional talent, successful CEOs, and incredible human beings who know how to inspire great leaders and are inspiring great leaders themselves. I am Craig Johns, high performance leadership expert, international speaker, and CEO of Speakers Institute Corporate and World Sport Coach. This is the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast with ordinary don't belong. Welcome to the Inspiring Great Leaders podcast. Our guest today is a true master of his craft, a cinematic chameleon with a magnetic screen presence, an award-winning singer, an accomplished dancer, and the CEO and executive producer of Liduk Entertainment. He has a notable appearances in movies like Green Lantern in 2011, which stars Ryan Reynolds, Lords of the Streets in 2008, and last year in Girl with a Gun. He was also cast in a lot of our favorite TV shows, such as Prison Break, The Purge, and Valor. He is an entrepreneur with a production company known for its inventive and original content and a a committed ambassador for his New Orleans roots. Aside from being on screen, he has also worked behind the scenes as the writer and director of shows like Bourbon Whiz and Bad Grandmas. Today, we have the pleasure of delving into the mind of this multifaceted artist as we explore his creative process inspirations and vision for the future lights camera action armando ludic armando welcome to the show thanks for having me brother uh real pleasure now you're based in america but you've got uh, a little bit of a, a diverse background so where did you grow up and what was the big dream as you chased your friends around the playground so I grew up in Germany mainly. My dad was in the military. And um, man, when you get swept up every three years, it uh, you, you learn heartbreak very early on in life. So I think it helped mold me to who I am today. I wouldn't say I'm, you know, <laughs> I have a lot of baggage in that regard, but it also helps me, you know, make friends quick. And it, it, it helped me assimilate very quickly and, and, you know, learn how to, how to go into any room and, and just be comfortable, you know, be, be comfortable with being uncomfortable. So 
Yeah. Gives you a real diverse perspective on the world, which I'm sure helps a lot when you're, uh, you know, looking at uh, whether it be movies or social media, etc. You can look at it from different perspectives. And I think that's a, a beautiful, uh, I suppose, upbringing to have and insight in the world. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's funny as as the world gets smaller, you know, with with social media and digital and podcasting and stuff. I mean, I'm talking to you in Australia and, and I'm here in New Orleans. How amazing is that? And so you learn that, you know, people are people, you know, and and um, people are kind of predictable. And that's that helps, especially in uh, in marketing, because you can tell what you know, what people are going to do and, and the type of people out there. And, you know, if you're consistent enough, you can create predictability and scalability in your, in, in your company as a result of good marketing. Mm. And so when you think about your influences or role models, when you're kind of in your teenage years, moving around the world a little bit, was there someone who kind of stood out as someone who had quite a, uh, quite an impact on who you are today? You know, growing up with in a military family, the core the the core family sort of stays together. My dad, my mother, and my sister and myself, right? So it was the four of us that these are the other three people that have experienced life sort of the same way that I have. So when we moved to the United States when I was 15, um, my dad got stationed at a, at Fort Gordon in Augusta, Georgia. And I graduated from high school there. And in 2005, I left, I, I came to New Orleans to pursue my acting career. And, you know, my family had stayed in, in Augusta. And when I moved to New Orleans, they were, you know, they, they were a military family. And I was like, guys, what are you guys doing in Augusta? Like, there's nothing there, you know, got no roots there. My dad's a musician. And, and so, um, so they followed me to New Orleans, you know, and so we've been in New Orleans, uh, since 2005 and, uh, you know, met my wife here. I have a kid here, you know, her, her family has become my family. Um, you know, my family's become her family. So, you know, it's, uh, it was, it's, it's definitely interesting. So to answer that question, I guess, you know, my dad, since he was somebody that had, you know, I had always was following anyway. And, and, and he was super tenacious and, um, you know, his, his story from where he started in the military to where he ended up was a really fascinating one because he had come from Puerto Rico and he didn't know how to speak English. Mm. And so he learned how to speak English and, and, um, you know, they sort of put him in, in the infantry and he didn't want to do that and, uh, had the opportunity to play, um, play trumpet in the army band and they didn't let him do it, you know, and he tried for years and he finally got the opportunity. And then he switched over into being a musician in the army band for, uh, for 22 years. And so I always heard that story of just, you know, not letting, you know, things sort of get in your way. And just because something's true today doesn't mean it's going to be true tomorrow. And so that was uh, something that I think I always carried with me um, as I grew up was that, you can't just let things you can always find a way if you're consistent and you stick with it, you know, and you have that tenacity. I think that you can get what you want. 
apart from your very good looks, uh, what, what kind of drew you into uh, being involved in musicals, the performing arts, and then wanting to become an actor? I did not want to become an actor. It was thrust upon me. Um, I was, you know, I was trying to figure it out in high school. I went to, um, I was involved in sports and I just didn't like it. And I was involved in this and I didn't like it. You know, my friend Keith uh, persuaded me to audition for the school musical, which was Greece at the time. And it was my senior year in high school. And, um, and I got the lead and that just changed my entire world. I was like, oh my God, I love this, you know? And so I just kept doing musical theater for years, you know, doing community theater. And um, I was able to get, um, I was able to get an agent and they were in Atlanta. I've been, I've been with that agent. Wow. Since 2000, 23 years. Wow. That's crazy. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. But I was got them in 2000 and I've uh, been with them since. And they, you know, they've been sending me on, on auditions, you know, across the country. And so I was blessed to be able to work on, on some really amazing, you know, blockbuster projects. Mm. So tell me about that a little bit. You know, you go from a high school musical, which is kind of generally done on a on a smell of an oily rag, and then your next minute you're in some big, you know, Hollywood blockbusters, and you're talking about Green Lantern, and you know, even programs like Prison Break, etc. What was it like being involved in that world? You know, I was fortunate to get to perform with a group called the Augusta players in Augusta, Georgia. And uh, this wasn't a rinky dink community theater. You know, this was, they, they performed, you know, at the Imperial, uh, the Imperial palace or the Imperial stage. Can't remember right now, but it was an 800 person theater. Mm. So, and their productions were high quality, you know, Broadway style productions. So the, the training that I got as an actor working with the Augusta players was really, you know, was really great. Um, learned a lot of discipline and, and you know, and being uh, mindful of the craft and really, you know, studying and learning. So when I got the opportunity to work on films, I just brought the work ethic from being in theater to film. And, uh, you know, it was, it was it was it's it's it was thriving because film is so much different than uh than than theater right because in theater you get two two three months to really flesh out a character plus you're in rehearsals you're rehearsing with everybody there's camaraderie you know in a film you can't ask uh you know um dustin hoffman to run lines with you you know, like you show up on the day and uh, you have your lines memorized and it's more of a, you know, on the spot uh, experience. And I'll tell you, when I started doing improv, I trained uh, in improv and that really changed the game for me as far as film was concerned, because it kept me more present. Like theater can can get a little campy because you're trying to perform for 800 people, you know, and when you have a film camera in your face it's real it's really about the subtlety it's really about the eyes mm. and not moving you know and i had to really train myself to settle down you know and i didn't need to talk from here everything's right here and those microphones they're just right here so they can hear you and i can express to you what i'm talking about and you know so that's more film acting than than uh, theater acting 
Okay, fascinating. All right, so um, my dance partner when I was seven years old uh, moved as far away as possible from New Zealand and, and went to dance in the Royal London Ballet. Um, I had two left feet but managed to find the right foot and, and spent my time in sports. So I know what it's like to the discipline required around being a high level elite athlete in that sense. But I'm really curious, can you take me through what a typical day or even a week would look like in theater and then what it looks like um, as an actor? You know, they're, they're two very different modes of, you know, people kind of put them under that performing arts kind of space, but they're very two very different um let, let's say sports in a way or, or different sure. different ways of doing things. So can you give me a bit of insight? It'd be great. When you're doing theater, you know, that, that three months that you have to like really flesh out a character, you've got three or four hours of, of rehearsal every night for five days a week you know, going in and, and really like learning lines and being, being absorbed into that world. And you get to perform on the stage and, you know, um, it's a little, it feels more make-believe on, on, on stage. Right. Cause it's there, there's an audience there and, you know, there's the facade and you're in costume and all of that. But when you're on set, right. Like when I was, I did bad Lieutenant, um, with Nicolas Cage and we're, when you're on set, like you are in the spot, right? Like if you're in the hotel room, you're in the hotel room. If you're in a house, you're in a house, you know, and it's enclosed and it, and it has that feel. So when you're there, it just, everything's more real. Right. And so when you're doing film, you know, in, in acting class, they call it available stimulus, is one of the, uh, you know, one of the acting techniques and having available stimulus there for you is, is, is a lot easier for you to get into character, right. Than having to sort of make up all of the things that you need to do sort of in theater, you know, in theater, you're like, Oh, well, imagine that this is happening and there's a thing there. And, you know, there's a lot of imagination going on, but you know, in film, you can actually experience it. However, when you're doing sci-fi and fantasy, th then you're gonna have to bring your your theater muscles in because a lot of times you're you're gonna act against like a a, a green ball, hmm. right? And it's like, all right, imagine this is a monster, right? And you're and they're tracking the ball and you're having to like react to this thing that isn't really there. So you better have that imagination muscle, you know, going. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so you're bringing, I mean, you're bringing that, those techniques from, from, from both angles. I think being an actor, um, is really about experiencing life and the more life that, that you experience, the, the, the more you can bring to a, to a character. It's funny in my twenties, you know, all I was doing was studying and studying and studying and studying, you know, and then I took sort of a, a sabbatical from, from acting and I'm back into an improv class. Like I'm taking an improv level one improv class. Right. And I'm 43 and I'm, I'm in this class with like, you know, with, with cats that are 20 and, um, and it's such a different experience now. Cause I'm not in there for not in there to prove anything. Mm. I'm not, not in there for ego. I'm not in there cause I'm trying to pursue my career and I'm not in there cause I'm trying to learn, you know, like, 
I, I am there to learn, but I'm, I'm, I'm more there for, for, for the experience of doing improv. Right. And, um, I always think about this, this art exhibit I went to at the new Orleans museum of art. It was called lifelike and the theory or, or the, um, the thought process behind these artists were they would create art for art's sake, right? But not not to sell it, not for any financial gains. They just just the paint recreating and painstakingly recreating everyday objects was the purpose of this art form, right? So for instance, uh this this guy, he recreated his childhood home, right? From the 70s with everything that he grew up with, right? So he had to go across the country to find that particular refrigerator, that particular wallpaper, that particular uh, dining room table with those chairs and the carpet. Like, and he painstakingly recreated his childhood home. That took him like years, years to do. He didn't get paid. He didn't like there was it was mind blowing. Right. This guy had created a trash bag, a full trash bag that was uh, made of marble. But when you looked at it, it looked like a plastic trash bag. For what? Just for art. Right. And so it's funny now, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm in my I'm, I'm in my 40s and how I approach the art form now is such a different perspective which is a great perspective i i'm not i don't have to try so hard you know i'm not in your 20s you're, you're so trying you know you, you so want it so much right you want the end result so bad and now that i'm in my 40s right and i'm on the other side of things it's not like wow i just need to enjoy myself as much as possible right now I don't need to, I don't need to arrive. I've arrived. Right. Like, so now I'm just like, I just want to have a good time. I want to do things that, that fulfill me and, and create the, the, the journey that is going to make me feel fulfilled instead of chasing that end result that I think we all get so caught up with in like trying to find that, that ending. And it, you don't need to, this is what it's about right? Like the day, like what you're doing, that is what we're doing. That's what it's, a, it's what it's all about. And I wish I had known that in my twenties a little bit more. It's interesting. Uh, we're the same age and I'm kind of at a phase right now. I'm like, I, I, I want that, that kind of, what is that big thing I'm focused on? You know, what is that, that clarity on that again? Because uh, I love that about sport. You know, I, I thrived and I felt fulfilled. So I had a different feeling, I suppose, in my 20s where uh, I had a lot of clarity. Like I, I loved, I lent into that. And I kind of get lost a little bit and just kind of trying to enjoy just being in the moment and that type of thing. It, it Yeah, so it's, I have a different feeling, which is quite interesting to kind of reflect on. Coming back to both the theater and acting, right? So you've got to step into character, but... And obviously from a, a producer point of view, they're wanting a certain character being developed, but you've also got to be your authentic self. So how do you balance that stepping into a character, but also being 100% genuine and authentic in yourself? It starts with who you are first. You have to know who you are 
to become somebody else. And I think that that's a lot of times when you're trying to get into character, it, it, it really is putting the shoes on of the character, right? So you need to know where you are first. How are you feeling? What is your perspective today? So that we can bridge that gap as to who we need to become, right? And so I always start with that first, like a, you know, just being and where am I and what's my headspace and my emotions and what, what happened today and where am I, right? Okay, great. And then I, you know, and then the character that, that I need to portray, what's his wants, what's his desires, how, what are the similarities of, of me and this character? What are things that are, you know, not, and how can I bridge those gaps? And, and you got, you know, it's a lot of the techniques go, goes into, you know, where are you? Who are you? What's my moment before, you know, um, could it be an accent that like really snaps into, you know, sort of that space that works for me. Um, a lot of times, like I'll, I'll play with character accents and, and just character beings. And, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try him if he's a little drunk or if he's angry or super happy, you know, and just kind of, through that rehearsal process, figure out wh where that character lies. And it's kind of like Michelangelo when, when, when he talks about the, the statue, he's not chiseling the statue. He's just, he's fine. It, it's finding itself, right? Like he's just freeing the statue from the marble. Right. And so I think um, acting is sort of the same thing. It's, it's, it'll find you if you're in the right headspace of playing and you'll 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 kind of just fall into this character and it's like oh yeah that's him you know um that's why i love theater because you have a lot more time to to do that with an ensemble um in film you you sort of have to do that work by yourself before and then you get to set and then you know you have that time to you'll have maybe two or three rehearsals and then they'll set up you know they'll call in the first team you're the first first team You'll do your uh, you'll do your scene in a rehearsal so that the light so the cinematographer and everybody else knows how they light it right and you get to talk to the director and you figure out what it is that you guys are gonna do then you leave and the second team comes in the stand-ins and everybody they light the scene for you then you come in and uh, they shoot what we call the master shot right so it's usually like the the, the wide shot and they'll you know they'll let us kind of go television is a little bit faster they're not going to give you that 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 many takes because they've got to move right mm. uh but in film you know depending on the director it could be uh you know 15 20 takes i'll tell you martin campbell who's from new zealand who i worked with uh on green lantern he was he took a he took a long time mm. he he uh he directed casino real and it was like you know 14 15 takes you know per sh per shot so you know so you come in you do the master and then they'll come in and do some like um, mid shots two 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 people shots. And then they'll go over like the over the shoulder. Give me some close ups, you know, depending on the shot list. And so as as the cameras come in closer and closer, you know, you'll have had, you know, those takes to like really sort of explore, you know, different uh, different takes and, you know, trying to surprise a partner with something new so that it's authentic, right? So, you know, if you really want to get, you know, something out of them, you know, tr change the approach, you know, through through the words. And so you have, 
you know, kind of you, you moved on in your career and now have a social media marketing agency, uh, which you're obviously doing very, very well with. When we think about, you know, talking about being genuine and authentic in regards to being on stage and and on film, etc. How, you know, it's, it's when you move into social media and you're doing video, etc. the importance of people staying genuine and authentic versus trying to put on what we would say a stage person or a camera person. Uh, how can people ensure they stay genuine and authentic when they are you know, recording videos for social media? I think you can do both. I think there's room for the genuine, authentic pieces of content, and I think you should have that. But then I also think that you should have some more theatrical, fun, you know, things where, you know, where you can act. And that's what that's what I love about social media these days is because, you know, a lot of the techniques we we call our technique, your business is a movie, really. And so we're taking that storytelling process and going, OK, how can we infuse this into your content for your business, you know, and for you as a, as a personal brand. So, yeah, I think you can do your Q and A's, you know, in podcast form and straight into the camera where you're like, you know, building value and establishing authority, you know, so that people take you serious, um, in your profession, but then, um, you know, but why not add some, some more fun, like, like we'll, we'll create trailers for businesses, you know, uh, we did one for an oil and gas company where um, you've seen the movie Armageddon, mm-hmm. you know. And so um, so we're like, oh, these roughnecks that that that, you know, work and live on these oil rigs, they probably all need, you know, uh, over here in, in New Orleans, we all eat crawfish. Do you do you guys have crawfish in New Zealand? Yeah. yeah it's uh, they look like mini lobsters. Yeah. Yeah. We call so, them you know, they eat a lot. OK, cool. Call yeah. crawlies. <laughs> do you all eat them? Uh, yeah, we would. Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. So over here, it's like huge. It, they, 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 they boil crawfish and it's a whole thing, you know? Um, so we did this video where, you know, these guys are out in the Gulf and they're on the oil rig and they need, you know, uh, crawfish or, you know, or they're not going to make it, you know? And so we just kind of created this fun trailer where it's like sort of Armageddon parody, you know? So I feel like stuff like that is, authentic in terms of you know what they do but it's not necessarily them right like they're acting you know so it's i feel like it's it's also fulfilling for us because it's it's something fun it's something theatrical and and you know people on social media want to see some funny stuff they want to be entertained you know they want to be they want to learn you know they want to think they you know so they want to feel you know i've been watching a lot of um videos about a, uh, a dad who's, you know, who's giving advice about, you know, growing, you know, uh, child rearing and all of that, you know, and, uh, it's got a lot of like these heartwarming, you know, moments. And I'm like, man, that's great that, that he's able to convey that in 30 seconds with music voiceover and like, and just images, you know, video. And I was like, that's, that's storytelling. That's filmmaking, you know, in a micro level, you know, so um, I, I I love it. I think I think people can do it all. It's social media, you know, so there there are no rules. In my opinion, 
There are no rules. I think one of the, the big things a lot of people struggle with in regards to social media when it comes to business, right? So yes, yes, you can just have social media presence where you make sure everyone sees what's happening in your life. But then there's those that are out there from a business sense in trying to figure out how they do what they might feel as an icky sales in a way. And so what are some strategies you're seeing that are working really well that allow you to sell your business without you know, people doing the traditional and here are your three free steak knives and <laughs> type selling. Yeah. I think it's really about education-based marketing at this point. If you are educating your prospects, you know, and educating your clients, you can always, um, I mean, we, our business has grown tremendously from social media and I wish I could take all the credit, but uh, I've, I've, I had a really good mentor who runs a $45 million law firm in, in Georgia. And he started a company called eight figure firm where he's teaching other attorneys how to scale their businesses to, to eight figures. And I've, I've told this story several times, um, but I always tell it cause it's an amazing story. He, he took um, a company, he took this nonprofit attorney from $700,000 a year in revenue to 2.4 million in six months. Mm. Right. And, and I was like, mind blown, yep. mind blown. Right. I was like, how's this happening? And he's like, Armando, you have a seven figure business. Right. And at the time I was only making 70 K a year in revenue. And I was like, what are you talking about, Lewis? He was like, look, man, I can give you this information for free, but you won't implement it. You won't value it. And I was like, okay, so what are you talking about? And he's like 2,500 bucks for mentorship. You know, we'll meet four times a month. We'll meet weekly and we'll discuss your business and I'll, I'll, I'll teach you how to, how to grow it. And I was like, whoo boy, $2,500 a month. You gotta be kidding me. First month we worked together, $30,000, you know, and he just was changing my mindset, right? He was changing what it is that I was focused on, what my relationship was with money, you know, and, um, and as a result, I mean, the first year in, after working with him, we started, we hit half a million dollars in revenue, mm. you know, and then uh, just kept scaling from there. And I just saw, you know, my clients kept growing and growing and growing. I mean, he, he started eight figure firm in September of 2020. And uh, it's now a close, close to eight figure business, you know, um, and, and his, uh, law firm is going to hit nine figures within the next five years. Easy. He's got his name on the outside of a building and, uh, and just, he's, he's scaling, he's helping all of these attorneys scale, um, scale their businesses. And we've been instrumental in that, that, um, we've been instrumental in creating content for their business and a cool side effect of creating content for your business on the regular is that you get really good about your messaging. Right. And you get really good about what it is that you're that you're providing and how are you helping? And that becomes the focus, not the sale, not the call to action. Right. Like when you're doing organic social media content, it's really about how are you building value? How are you helping? How are people seeing you as a resource, not necessarily as a salesperson? Mm. And basically what you want your social media to do is you want the social media to do the pre-selling for you. Credibility, trust, authority. And you do that by answering questions, right? And answering the right questions. And there's techniques out there. I mean, you know, TikTok is, is, has become a search engine. 
you know, YouTube is a search engine, Google, you know, so stop trying to figure out what people are looking up and just look up, just, just look up the top, you know, searched, uh, searched topics. And those become the topics that you put together. And there's, it's, it's endless in your niche. It's endless, right? Like you could create videos all day. And some of the, um, some of my clients, when they were posting one video a day, they're now posting five to 20 times a day. And so that's now becoming, I think, I think that now if you're wanting to get the attention, it's the creative creativity of the content, but then it's also the volume of the content, right? And if you're creating enough content on a regular basis, you're going to see what people are enjoying, right? And then from there, those are the videos that you can boost because you'll know. It's like, oh, great. This video has 80,000 views. That's those are the videos that 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 we need to boost instead of trying to reverse engineer what you think people are going to like. They're going to tell you what they like. Mm. We don't have to sit around and try to write a commercial for it when we can just create content on the regular, not worrying about that. Our audience is going to tell us what they like. And then we just keep boosting our, our top viewed videos and then go, you know, go a little bit harder into what what they like and less into what they don't like. So obviously really, really important to have awareness of, of what people are interacting with in regards to your social media. Uh, but you talked there about, you know, potentially putting out five to 10 videos a day. Um, how does, you know, when we look at algorithms and things like that of social media, is there any of like, what's the effect of posting too much versus allowing something to um, live and breathe for a while in regards to putting it out there? I, if I knew the answers to those questions specifically, I'd be a trillionaire, right? Cause I, I would know exactly. And if everybody knew what the algorithm was going to do, they would also be trillionaires. So I think, you know, anybody that can talk about what the algorithm is going to do and what it's not going to do, I think they're just making it up, <laughs> you know? So I'm just going to, I will tell you from what I am experiencing and what my clients are experiencing as a result of posting several times a day. And I will tell you that the engagement is going up a lot. I will tell you the views are going up a lot. You know, the subscribers and follower count is going up a lot. So I don't know. I, I don't, I, I, I don't want to, talk as if I know, cause I don't know. Right. Like every month we're figuring some new things out. Right. Like we're, you know, and because we're, we're fortunate in that we're able to work in a bunch of different niches from legal to, I, I mean, I have a haunted history tour that we do uh, content for, you know, uh, event planners, bands, you know, so um, and we edit anywhere from 350 to 400 videos a month. So with that volume of content, we can see, okay, guys, across the board, these types of videos are getting the, the most hits, right? These types of videos are creating the most auth you know, authority. You know, these types of videos are getting the most engagement. So we just double down on those, you know, and... Um, and just keep learning as we're going. But uh, but the consistency across time beats 
just beats everything, in mm. my opinion. Yeah, okay, I love that. In regards to the way you approach uh, videos with people for their social media, uh, how does that process work? Um, so, so I have a five-step process. And it's uh, development, pre-production, production, post-production, post and distribution. So in the development phase, what we're doing is we're dialing down who's our target market, where are they hanging out, what are they consuming, you know, who else are they following, who else are they listening to, what types of videos are they watching, right? So we're, we're really nailing that stuff down in the development phase. So, I mean, yes, we're creating content and hoping that, you know, that they're going to watch it, but we're also doing a lot of the legwork to make it easy for us to optimize the types of videos that we're going to create. So we're not going in blind and we'll figure out what the mood board is and your colors and the fonts and all of that good stuff and hashtags. And when we do all of that stuff in the development phase, then we'll roll into pre-production and pre-production is where we go in and, and we'll do this for the client. We'll go, you know, we'll go into Google, we'll look up the top, you know, top rated videos, questions. We'll go into Pinterest. We'll, 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 we'll sort of take from that TikTok, Instagram, and we, and we can create about 80 to a hundred pieces of content in one day. Yeah. So, um, and that's anywhere from, you know, the 15 second to 45 second bites. Right. And when, when I tell people that they're like, wait, what? But it's, it's not really that difficult. Right. Like from this podcast alone, we could extract, oh man, you know, at least 150, 200 in an hour, you know, pretty easy. Hmm. So, so we'll go in and uh, we'll create all of the topics. We send it to the client. They'll they'll approve it, and then we roll into like writing out the script. So some some are uh, some of the videos we've been doing are are like the history of videos, and those do really well. Like um, we have a a family law attorney in New York, and we did a uh, we did a video on a story that a guy, his wife uh, had kidney failure, and he gave her his kidney. And then she cheated on him and they went through the divorce pre proceedings and he asked for the kidney back. Yeah. Uh, obviously didn't get it back, but it was a fun story to tell. Right. And we shot it real dark and sinister and stuff. And, uh, you know, video did really well. So um, so history of videos do really well. Top 10 lists do really well. So if you're in in a particular city, I always recommend doing a top 10 restaurants that I love. That way, when that video comes out, we're, we're tagging those restaurants. You know what I mean? So those are like really easy things that you can do to like really increase that engagement. Um, and then once we figure out the pre-production, we go in, we take one day a month, we shoot everything. Um, and that's anything from podcasting to, you know, to, to the content. Um, goes into the editing room. We send it to the client for approval. And then we either give it to their marketing team for them to distribute, or we can distribute it for them. We have a uh, social media, social media managers on staff, and then we rinse and repeat. Right. You're talking about you know length of videos. There, you're talking about a lot of fifteen to forty-five second sound bites. What, what are you seeing is working kind of more in that corporate world? Uh, are people? Uh, can, can you play, can you, can you like take the risk on creating longer form content 
um, that you hope is engaging or is it more focused on keeping it short and sharp and, and catching people's attention, but not trying to hold them there all day? So you can, what you do with the long form content is you create the trailers for the long form content. And that's what you can post on social media for, for I have a, a podcast too. So I take the most interesting clips from the podcast and I put that on social media for them to want to watch the episode. Hmm. And so that's, that's an easy way to get people to, to get to that long form content is create the, uh, create the mini trailers for it and then say, Hey, if you want to, you know, if you want to watch the whole video, go to YouTube. So let, let YouTube be the, the house that has, you know, has all of your content and then your social media pushes it, you know, towards there. But I mean, you got YouTube shorts now too. So, you know, that's a good way. And, um, that's a good way to, to, to get those sound bites then. And then people are like, wait, what, what is this channel? And then they click on the channel and they can get more of, of what they want. But it's, it's really about, um, optimizing the videos too. Once you, once you distribute them, like making sure that you have a nice hook, make sure you have the nice, the, the, the right hashtags and YouTube's a whole nother thing that you really have to like every single video you put up, you better, you know, optimize it properly with, you know, search engines and, and the whole nine. Hmm. Yeah. Good. I love that. In, uh, I'm not sure if you got to see it, but Nissan produced the four hour advertisement early this year, a four hour video advertisement, which was absolute genius. And awesome. they did not sell anything specifically, but however, they were very clever at positioning throughout. And so what they did is, and it's worth having a look at this because they had 12 million views within, I don't know, a week or two. And so what they've wow. done is, you know, lo-fi music. Mm -hmm. So lo-fi music is very popular, obviously, with people studying and people even working from home or just having it in the background. And so what they did was quite genius. You know, um, let's say baseball, right? Baseball takes... Um, I don't know, four or five hours to play, um, you know, a game. So when you're sitting at home, you don't, unless you're a real fanatic, you, you quite often will have baseball just kind of sitting in the background. You do chores, you'll hear something, you'll come and watch the replay or or it's getting tight. So you sit down and watch the, the, the most interesting parts. And kind of what they've done with this video is they're kind of repeating lots of stuff. So literally there's a, a woman sitting inside a car it's an animation and literally every two seconds it is repeating the same thing she is doing. So she's tapping her finger on the steering wheel, her hair flutters in a way, she blinks. And then on the dashboard, you've got kind of parts of this new car that they're promoting for females, younger females. And you can see the dashboard, but there's also a few extra things in there that take people back to reminisce the, the original Nissan car. So it's, it's great for a Nissan enthusiast as well. But then through the window because it's from side on through the window they have different scenery and so to start with they're kind of going through a rural rural area and then in through a city and there'll be a billboard every now and then that will have the nissan car on there and then there's like different things from maybe different people's childhood so there might be a uh, from an animation film, there might be like a dinosaur or a certain figure or something that will be walking across the mountains in the background then it will change after, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes or so. Then it'll move to like a sunset one. So you're driving along the coast and you've got the beautiful sunset on the water and then you go past the bus shelter and the bus shelter has the sign for the Nissan. 
And so it's very, very clever where, you know, you might be studying or working and then you just kind of look up and you see it. And it's a lot of it's very subconscious. I thought it was mm. absolute genius. And it was kind of going all against what everyone's been talking about. Shorter, faster, more dynamic, yeah. catchier. And here they are. They rolled out something where it gave people value, not in content. It gave value in listening to music in the background that we want when we're playing. So are you seeing other things like this where people are really pushing the boundaries rather than just trying to keep you engaged and eyeable on the video, but they're actually using other elements to subtly sell and anchor something in, in the memory through video on social media. There are no rules, right? No rules. I mean, it's just carte blanche. It's, it's, it's sort of fantastic. Um, that you don't have producers anymore shoving things down your throat, you know, over and over again so that you like it, you know, like that's what it used to be like, right. With, with CDs and, you know, and tapes and things, you know, there was a, the, there was a small segment of, you know, of, of, of artists that they were like just pushing, you know, and now you it's carte blanche. Like anybody could be an, a musician. Anybody could be a producer. Anybody could be all of these things. So there's really no rules in that. I, I think it's I think it's genius, you know, that um that that they took this commercial and they made it four hours long. Like uh it just goes back to, you know, what we were saying at the beginning. It's people are predictable, right? And and the predictability is that they're gonna get tired of something and they're going to want to to see something new, right? And so you are seeing more and more people producing longer form content, right? Which is why I think podcasting is necessary. Hmm. If you want, like your business needs a podcast and all of my clients have, have a podcast. Like it's, it's a non-negotiable. Like if you work with me, you, you get, you're going to get um, social media content, but you also get a podcast. And I'll tell you the relationships that get formed from these podcasts. I mean, I don't have to tell you have you have a podcast, but you know, for the listeners out there, I mean, having a podcast, I'm I'm on my uh, about to hit my hundredth episode. I have made just amazing friendships mm. from this podcast. I have learned so much from these podcasts. I have been entertained. I have deepened relationships. I have made money. Like 80% of uh 80% of my clients currently have come because they were on my podcast. Yeah. And we started talking and there was a connection, right? Like, especially for a, a company like us that that are gonna work with clients on a monthly basis. I better like you. <laughs> you know, you better <laughs> like me. Like, I don't you know, we're gonna get on the phone, you know, on a monthly basis. And if it's gonna feel like oh god he's calling again right like you don't want that i don't want that we don't <laughs> want that you know like we want to we want to have a good time you know and it goes and then it goes back to the other thing that I was saying as far as like trying to push and what's the next thing and what's the next thing and now i'm like i want to have the most fun you know and just deep conversations that i can thought-provoking, you know, emotional, you know, non-surface, let's, you know, just things that like change me, things that like make me stop 
in my tracks and go, wow, okay, I didn't really, I, I've been moving too fast to even think about that. And podcasting, man, slows you down, hmm. you know, which is amazing. I love, and you know what, man, kudos to you for having an hour long podcast, you know, cause like there's a lot of podcasters out there that are like 20 minutes, that's it, 20 minutes. We got to keep it fast. And it's like, no, man. You can get some really good stuff in, in, you know, in minutes 40, 40 to 55, you know, like, man, like there's some like deep stuff that, that, that starts to arise and you're like, huh, I didn't even think about that. That's amazing. You know? So kudos to you, man. All right. So this podcast interview is just about to start then. We're around about the 40, <laughs> 45 minute mark and uh, my face is going blurry. I'm, no worries. Now, we talk about overnight sensations, and, and as we know, overnight sensations generally do not happen overnight. There is generally a huge amount of work that goes in behind it. Uh, we look at artificial intelligence. It's a 60-year overnight success in a way that is not even foolproof right now. It is still struggling to find its space. It, it's getting lots of hype. It's getting lots of um, attention right now, but we're also seeing people... Uh, in some of the artificial intelligence that's coming out, seeing flaws in it and losing trust um, pretty quick and respect with it. And so it's kind of at this really interesting intersection right now where we've got artificial intelligence doing some phenomenal work in medicine and other areas. We've got some, we're kind of changing the way that we use a search engine in a way with the likes of ChatGPT, um, Pit. You know, and, and there's, there's lots of debate going on around where is it ethical in doing that? You know, what's it going to do to my job? How is this, uh, you know, is it going to be authentic in the way that it it produces content uh, for thought leaders or even, you know, people using video, etc. It's a fascinating space. And, and I love it because I, I'm actually thinking it's having more of an effect on us as human beings and actually reconsidering what does it mean to be human and and how do we make decisions and is are those is the decision making process we've had as a default for thousand thousand years actually serving us and when we chuck it into a machine we start to realize hey you know what it's not maybe the machine that's flawed it's maybe us as human beings that have some flaws that we kind of been thrown you know dusting under the rug so to speak for a little while so I'm curious for you in a space of content creation where there is a number of different artificial intelligence modalities coming out. What are you seeing in regards to how you can leverage it, but also are you seeing it as a threat? Oh man, when it, when it first like got thrown in everybody's face in November, right? It's like, you know, that, that initial shock. It's like, oh wow. Okay that, you know, this could be the end of a lot of things. Right. Um, and then when you just kind of move out, right. And you get that 30,000 foot view and, you know, um, then it doesn't look as scary. Right. To, in, in my opinion, um, I, cause what I think is going to happen and you, you, you touched on it beautifully in terms of what makes us human. And I think this is going to force us to communicate more regularly, 
because we're not having to deal with mundane tasks that take up a lot of time, right? I just read a book called Buy Back Your Time. Have you read this? Not yet, no. Awesome. Um, but it talks about the four quadrants, right? The four quadrants are things that make you zero to little money and drain you. These are delega delegatable tasks and should be delegated immediately. Then you have things that are um, making you money but drain you. Mm -hmm. And these are sort of leadership positions that you should be delegating as well. Then you have things that make you little or no money but that fulfill you. And this could be, you know, time with friends, family, like, fun things, hobbies, whatever, right? These are things that you should be spending time on. And then uh, the fourth quadrant is things that make you money and fulfill you, right? And so as entrepreneurs or musicians or whoever, like that's where you should probably spend a majority of your time, right? Uh, if you want to be successful, you know, obviously you can bliss out on things that don't make you any money and still be fulfilled uh, however you want to live your life, right? Yeah. But if you want to be uh, successful and, and, you know, as an entrepreneur or as an athlete or whoever, like that's probably where you should spend most of your time, you know, sort of in that right uh, quadrant. And, um, and I think with AI, you're going to be able to move your delegatable draining tasks to a machine so that you can stay in the more fulfilling aspects of your life which we should be right. Like that's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's about enjoying a sunset and not having to check your phone, right? Like email and, and, and all of that stuff. It's, it's about enjoying, you know, a dinner with your family, you know, without worrying about all of the, all of the other things that need to be done. And I'll tell you, since I read that book, I have just cleared up my calendar um, tremendously you know, and one thing that I'm about to uh, delegate is my email. Mm. Like, just I'm gonna have I, I I'm I'm about to hire an executive assistant that part of their job is just checking my email and training them to you know to go yep this is important this is not important you know and sort of train them it, it'll probably take about you know 15 days to 30 days to like train them to do that, but once they do like. How much time do you spend on your email on a daily basis? Like, it's insane. You know, so I feel, uh, you know, really excited about the fact that AI can take care of that. I'm, I'm, re, I'm redesigning my website and uh, I went in and, and the, uh, the, the, the web designer is like, hey, can you tell me like, all of the different services that you offer and and can you get into detail about it? And I'm like, absolutely. Chat GBT. And I'm like, I finished this project in like 30 minutes for a complete website redesign. That would have taken me days mm. of just sitting and thinking and blah. Not that it's perfect, right? But it was just, you know, it was a good starting point. It did the heavy lifting. I come in for the edits, put it up done you know and so um yeah d d don't people want more time to do the things that are fulfilling to them don't they want more family time don't they want like at the end of the you know at the end of your life you're not going to sit there and and wonder about how many more emails you could have answered right like that's not going to be a, a thing <laughs> it's going to be like you know what was your what was your impact 
You know, did you get to see things? You know, what was your relationships like? Were they deeper? You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about that aspect. I mean, do I think people are going to use AI for nefarious reasons? Absolutely. Because humans are predictable. Going to be people that do that. You know what I mean? That's why, why we have police, you know? So, um, but I can't sit around and I don't sit around worrying about things that I can't control anyway, because I can't control them. I can, I can only do what I can do. Right. So um, let's use these tools to help us have a better life, you know, and, and let's use these tools to, to help other people have better lives. Bravo. In regards to social media video content, uh, is, are you using artificial intelligence tools that, that you're finding valuable at this point? Uh, I mean, chat GPT right now, I know Adobe is about to, um, unleash something on the uh, editing side of things. Um, that looks really cool. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, you know, and you have apps like unreal engine and Aximetry that can help like with, uh, when you're shooting on green screen to make it look like it's not shot on green screen, mm. you know, like it's, it's, it has a little bit more sophistication. Um, there's, I don't know the the app because my editors use it, but um, it's for podcasting and it can basically like suck in the edit, the, the, the video and audio, and it can chop it up boop, 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 and find like the spots where there's dead air or, you know, stuttering and stuff like that. So that definitely uh, speeds up our editing, hmm. you know, so that we can get, um so we can get content out quicker. Um, We've tried some editing tools out there, but I don't think they're quite as sophisticated yet. Um, I'm sure that it will get there in the next, you know, two, three years. So, you know, it'll be, um, you just got to pivot, you know, too. Like, you know, if when, you know, the cars were invented, it put a lot of horse and carriages out of business, you know, and people adapted. It's just the way it is, you know. So you'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. You know, you just got to stay, you know, read books and, and, and stay prepared and, and see where the opportunities are. Love it. We all know smart people have great answers, but the most successful people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time? When was the last time I did something for the first time? Wow. Oh boy. It's been a minute. I mean, I would say improv, but I've already done that. Um, hmm. You know what? I, I will have to do something about that. <laughs> I will have to do something. I used to, I used to, I used to try to do, um, you know, one thing to get out of my comfort zone a year, you know? Um, so maybe I need to, uh, readopt it. No, it's been a while, man. It has been a while. That's good. I'll, I'll let you to ponder that one then. Yeah. Thank you. What is the one question that you would love to solve? Globally, personally, any, I, 
I want to understand um, my wife better. Great question. Great. Yeah, question. I would love to. I would love to understand my wife better. For you, what is an inspiring great leader, and who's a great example of this? I love Tony Robbins, man. Eric Thomas is great too. Do you watch Eric Thomas, yeah. the uh, hip hop preacher? I like, uh, and I'm a look. Tony Robbins, great, you know. But Eric Thomas, when I when I hear Eric Thomas speak, I want to move, hmm. right? Like I'll be tired, and I'll listen to Eric Eric Thomas speak, and I'm like, all right, it's enough. <laughs> I'm ready. I gotta go. You know, I'm no longer tired. So. Yeah, Eric Thomas, my wife though, when when I play him, because he's because he yells, it's like, who is that? Why are you playing? What this guy is yelling? I'm like, I love it. I love it. Like that just it it takes me to another spot, you know. Beautiful. Been a great conversation so far today. Um, how can people learn more about what you do, and what is the best way for people to connect with you? Um, social media is great. You can look me up, Armando LaDuke, on every platform. Um, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, you can find me pretty easy. And uh, just reach out if you want to have a conversation. I'm all about it. Um, you know, I'm buying back my time so that I can do more of this. I want to do more podcasts. I want to do more public speaking. I want to do more teaching, you know, uh, learning. So I'm all about it. Beautiful. Reach out. Beautiful. Amando, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Loved hearing you. about your your early days growing up in the military family in Germany and then moving to Georgia uh, and finding kind of trying to find your space in this world and landing in the world of performing arts and being in theater and then becoming an actor to now actually being able to help visualize people's worlds and, and companies' worlds through your video, through social media. And to hear your really fascinating insights into the world um, that you see right now and to even think about the way you approach artificial intelligence, I think it's it's quite inspiring and I really love the way that you look at this world. So thank you very much for your time today. Look forward to continuing the conversation in the future. I appreciate you. Thank you. It's time for you to join the Inspiring Great Leaders movement by visiting craigjohns.com.au. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to hashtag Inspiring Great Leaders. We would love it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the Craig Johns LinkedIn Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Inspiring Great Leaders podcast where the ordinary don't belong.